everyone. I'm Sheila Pearl, the Love Doctor. And we have another episode today on the new podcast on let's talk about making love better. And it's about all the aspects of love that makes our connections closer, our intimacy sweeter, uh, and the, the feeling of belonging genuine, real, because we know we're being real. So I've invited an old friend of mine, uh, John Redmond. Uh, we were in business networking uh, exchanges over the past many years, and he recently was assigned to the position of pastor at the United Presbyterian Church here in Newburgh, New York. And uh, Newburgh, New York is where I've been living for the past over 22 years, actually tw about 22 years. And I first came to Newburgh to be part of the clergy in Newburgh. I was the cantor at Temple Beth Jacob here in Newburgh. And cantors in Judaism are considered co-clergy with the rabbis and ministers and pastors and uh, e e the, the imams. So... Uh, I got to know uh, I got to know John's predecessor, David, uh, over the years, and I got to know about his wonderful congregation. So when John was uh, assigned to serve this congregation in the month of January 2021, I invited him to join us in the conversation that he would choose on. Let's talk about making love better. So when we had that conversation, he decided, I want to talk about honesty. I want to talk about authenticity, recognizing how challenging it is in our world to really be honest with one another, to really be authentic, to be real, and how important it is to be truth tellers. And in order to be a truth teller about yourself, you have to be willing to tell the truth to yourself about yourself. In order to be a truth teller to others, about yourself. You have to be willing to share that a knowledge of who you are with others. And then we get to that whole issue of being honest, being authentic. So I wanted to share a little quote from one of my favorite books. This is The Gift of Imperfection, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. She's actually uh, celebrating her 10th anniversary of this book being published. And I, um, am enjoying this and, and share it with my clients uh, often and use the material in the book. And from this chapter on authenticity, she says, authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who you think you're supposed to be and embracing who you are. Choosing authenticity means cultivating the courage to be imperfect, to set boundaries, and to allow ourselves to be vulnerable uh, and exercising the compassion that comes from knowing that we are all made of strength and struggle and nurturing the connection and sense of belonging that can only happen when we believe that we are enough. So I want to invite John Redmond to in introduce himself to us Tell, tell us a little something about, you know, what his vision is for serving this new congregation and, and how and why the subject of authenticity and honesty is something that matters a lot to you, John. Well, thanks, Sheila. It's, uh, it's good to be together with you again after all these years and, and of knowing each other and, and of bumping into one another occasionally. Um, I came to... Um, I came to Union Church at the beginning of this month, and so I'm very new at uh, at this. After spending thirty some years in in the entertainment business, in and creating events and and uh, productions for all sorts of uh, corporations and uh, theaters and and video operations and uh, associations, so um, it's quite a different uh, calling, but uh, it's a calling nevertheless, and I've uh, I'm really enjoying it. Um, the authenticity is is rooted in in that's what I like to how I like to approach it and um, and you have to be true to yourself. You have to know yourself. You have to the 
toughest person to admit anything to is yourself. Uh, if you're, you know, we were we were talking not too long ago about you and I about uh, about it's all rooted in fear, fear of how you're going to be perceived or what you're going to be looked at or looked down upon or really uh, you know get in an argument with someone else, and you can't be afraid of that. Um, at the same time, you don't want to be rude, but but you really and we all want to be uh, polite as as we can, but you still have to be able to use your point of view and be forthright enough to be sure that that's that's the right one, even if it may be the wrong one. Um, at least to your point of view right now, that's that's the right one, and it's uh, if it's your story, you're sticking to it. Uh, that's you know, that's pretty much where it is. And uh, Renee Brown is right. You have to be, you know, accepting of exactly what uh, and who you are. What sort of an, what sort of an animal are you? And, um, and there's, there's where it lies. And if, because if you do that, then as you go out into a larger world and in other, other you know, interactions, you can, you can be honest. You can be forthright. And uh, where does love come into the whole thing? Is love is a base of of all of that. Uh, of course, there's you know there's all sorts of love, and that's what you're covering in your series of, of podcasts here. Um, I'm I'm not here on the romantic love platform, even though we're we're approaching Valentine's Day very soon. Uh, I'm here on the platform of God's love, which of course is infinite, and. It is so vast and infinite that we are we can't even conceive of of what it really is. We only have a tiny fractional image of of what this really is. But what we know is that it's all over the place and it is infinite. And we really just need to reach out and grasp our little part of it. And that's what I try to do in my weekly messages to people uh, is that it's it's really behind everything, uh, whether it's the Bible or the Quran or, or just the front part of the Bible uh, that our Jewish sisters and brothers use. Uh, it's, it's all of that. And, and, but love is the guiding, driving force between all of that mighty power and strange happenings. So if we were to to indicate the polar opposite of love which gets in the way of our being authentic and honest what would you call that no that's that's where fear comes in that's, that's fear it comes in that's uh, fear is is uh you know is, is just uh and it's just it's a strange thing because people say well you know the, there's this old phrases about being a god-fearing people well god-fearing doesn't mean you're afraid of God, it means you're in total awe of him. Uh, and awe in that overused awesome thing that everybody uses these days, that awesome doesn't even touch it. Uh, God-fearing actually goes beyond awesome, and it's, it's you're just in total wonderment. Uh, that's what a God-fearing people is. And uh, that's what I try to instill in people, that it's we can't conceive of what it is, but we know, and we've got a great idea, at least in our own heads, and uh, we come together as congregations, as families, as other entities to uh, to share that. And it's in that sharing that we actually, you know, can feel it even more, and we can actually grow in it. But uh, yeah, it's fear. It's is is the total polar opposite. Um, it is. So fear gets in the way of our being willing to be vulnerable and to be authentic about who we are. In other words, if I'm afraid, or, or uh, let me back up. I do believe that truth-telling has many sides, and it's kind of an interesting conundrum, because the truth is we are enough. The truth is we are lovable. The truth is that our possibilities, as God has created us, are, are infinite. The truth is that we are capable of wondrous things because we are the creation of God, right? Yes. And yet most people walk through life believing the big lie, 
The big lie is I'm not enough. The big lie is I'm not lovable, which is a, a terrible tragedy. So part of the, the task at hand is for people to be willing to tell the truth to themselves about who they really are. I am enough. I am lovable. I am worthy. I have gifts to give. My voice matters. My opinion matters. Now, there are times some people's opinion may not be as, let's just say, uh, worthwhile as other opinions if they're not based on fact. You know, you can have opinions about all kinds of things. But if my opinion is that the sky is purple and it's blue outside, or if my opinion is that it's raining at the moment, but it's sunny outside, one could say, well, your opinion is interesting, but it's really not true, right? Yeah. So, so in, in, you know, I was thinking about um, being in any new position, John. Here you are at this stage of your life, uh, which is, you know, you're not 32, you're at least 42 or 52, but you're not 32. So you're not, you know, at the beginning of your career. And you spent the, the better part of your a career in the uh, entertainment uh, field. Uh, interestingly enough, before I became a cantor, I was an opera singer. So, you know, we kind of both come from the world of the arts in some way, and then, then you know, kind of come for full circle. But anyway, um, so the, the truth of the matter for, 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 for you is that you are inexperienced so far as a pastor at the Presbyterian Church. You just started. It doesn't mean you're inexperienced in life. It doesn't mean you're inexperienced with your expertise as, as a wise uh, person in the world. But, you know, if you walked into to, uh, the Presbyterian Church and, and pretended that you had experience that you don't, that would make you inauthentic, Yep. right? And it would be very easy to see right through. Uh, and that's generally, I think people are surprised when they can see the lack of authenticity in someone else. Uh, I think it's, I think people get surprised that they can see it so easily and, and, and so quickly and sometimes even so obviously. Um, whether they react to it um, adversely or not is, is really up to them and the situation they're in. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's, pretty simple for people to uh, to see when uh, when someone's not being authentic or truthful or uh, you know uh, yeah some people can can disguise the truth pretty well but uh, I don't not usually and not most of us mm -hmm. uh, we really have to be the only real way to be is is to be authentic about it because it's just so bloody easy for someone to see right through you and see that it's just the smoke and mirrors and there's no real there. Well, it, it probably takes <clears throat> some people a lifetime to come to that realization, John, because a lot of people think they can hide, they can, they can fool us, they can wear a mask, they can pretend, they can put up a great front. Some people go to their grave with that. Uh, so, and there's, you know, there's nothing you or I or anybody else can do about it. That's, since we are creatures of free will, uh, although I think that some people who, who have that sort of life, as it were, if you can call that a life, um, and I would hesitate to actually call it a life, uh, but it's you know there are they where does that come from? Is it a is it a habit that just got developed that they can't get out of? I think maybe that's uh, that has a lot to do with it. Uh, some people may just be wired that way. Well. Okay, it's a human condition to want to be accepted. The human condition to want to be loved. It's the human condition to want to belong. So if from an early age you learned that you had to lie, that you had to hide, that you had to pretend to be something else, someone else, in order to experience being accepted or to be popular or to be liked or to be loved or to be approved of, you know, that's how people get into the, the, the weeds with, you know, trying to climb out and trying to, you know, at a later age, you know, a stage in life to say, oh, well, that's not really who I was. This is who I am now, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because people are afraid of not being enough. Again, we get back to the fear, right? Um, and so often in personal relationships also, people meet each other and they, they, they want to be accepted, they want to be approved of, they want to be loved. And so many relationships bego- begin in deception. They begin in uh, falsehood. They begin in you know, one or both really kind of covering up the truth of who they really are. Or, or thinking they are. Maybe they're not really, as you say, you can, you can smell it, you can taste it, maybe. But uh, so, so in the work that you're doing, the messages that you are charged on giving, you had mentioned that you're actually going to be talking about some aspect of honesty or authenticity this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's about uh, it's about being honest, and and where does that where does that take you? Where does that lead you? Uh, it's uh, comes from from uh, from the book of Isaiah, where uh, the the Israelites are in captivity in Babylon, and they're looking to uh, to go home again. And the promise has been given them that they will be freed from their exile and go back to Jerusalem. And uh, and some people are just worried that wait a minute. Why do I, I? I don't know. I, I they're 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 really fearful of uh, what's going to happen when I get there, and when they get there, it isn't a pretty sight uh, because nobody really wants to live there. Um, so uh, it's it's in coming to grips with that that we um, that we really need to uh, we really need to think about and and being you know being yourself and and as as you say uh, being enough. Uh, we all are worried about our shortcomings. Are, are we are we good enough? Are we good looking enough? Are we wealthy enough? Uh, are my clothes the right thing to be good enough? Uh, uh, what about my car? Does it look right compared to somebody else's? And and all those things. And they're all again rooted in in insecurity, which is rooted in fear. And it's just the you know the you know abject fear of these things that um, that ties people down and and uh does create their own you know self-fulfilling prophecy of oh am i really not good enough or am i not liked enough uh well if you tell yourself that enough times it will probably certainly come true when it comes to being willing to be truly honest and authentic as a leader of your congregation have you discovered yet the challenge sometimes you have in speaking the truth as you see it. No, oh, yeah, it's it's yes, absolutely. It's uh, and and you're walking a balance. It's a it's a balancing act, uh, not an act. It's a balance, but it's like walking on a tightrope because um, you want to speak the truth at the same time. You don't want to upset anyone. Uh, you want to bring them what you what you feel is the best truth of of the message. At the same time, everybody has their own interpretation of how they're going to take that one way or another. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's very it's very tricky. As a lay pastor, which is what I am, I am uh, I'm what's known as a as a uh, commission lay pastor. Uh, I haven't been to a full seminary, but I spent uh, the better part of three years in various online courses of study, and I've been certified to do those do this. So. Um, but as a layman, I try to tell people that I really want to be a bridge between the pews and the, and the pulpit because some people get the attitude of, oh, it's a pastor, it's a minister, it's a reverend, and they're in a class by themselves. They're somewhere else. And no, it's not true. Uh, even highly exalted guys in, in, in various faiths are, uh, are just the same. And we really need to keep that in mind. And I try to keep that in mind as, as I do this job, which is not a job. It's a, it's an absolute labor of love and I'm loving every second of it. Uh, but yeah, there's, I don't have fear. I do have concern that I might say it the wrong way or someone, no matter what way I put it, someone might take it the wrong way. And if they do, I really hope they come back to me and say, Hey, look, what did you, re- what, what was that? What was that all about? And uh, we can sit down and discuss it. It it even happened when I was uh, being examined by the by the um, committee that certifies all these people like me. 
uh, because you have to submit to them a one-page statement of faith, of what your faith really represents in one page. Um, so I, uh, I got mine in in three quarters of a page. But one line in it was, was something that stuck out to, uh, to one of the people who was examining me because it said that I believe that we may well have been created in God's image. Uh, and she said, what did you mean by that? May well have been. Do you, do you think it's one or the other? And my answer is, I, is I, and as I basically stated there, is uh, God is such an over, all-encompassing, you know, infinite presence that in, in, in the universe that we can't possibly conceive of what God's image is. So how would we be made in his image? We can only see a tiny little bit of the perception of what God may be. And if that's our image, okay. And that's enough. And that's enough for me to know that we may well be created in God's image, but we really don't have the slightest idea of how to wrap our heads around what God's image really is. Well, that calls upon our need to be humble to be willing to say, I don't know about a lot of things. I certainly don't know all there is to know about God. Likewise, I don't know that I don't know all there is to know about myself. Oh, it's true. Every and day, I, is a, every day is a discovery. It, it is a discovery. And to the extent that we are created in God's image, it certainly is not a physical image because God is not a physical entity uh, as we know it. Um, that we are spirit. And so if we are created in God's image, it's not, it's not that, that God has silver hair and blue eyes, right? But God has, is the source of joy. God is a source of gratitude. God is the source of, as we say all the time, God is love, right? Right. And, so, so, yeah, and, and God is not a noun. And God, God is a, is a God, verb. It's a verb. I, I, God is a verb and love is a verb, right? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So, so we're all verbs. Yes, we are. <laughs> right. We're, and we're, uh, you know, uh, like uh, Joni Mitchell says in the song, we're all made out of stardust. I mean, this, 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 this all came from the stars out there. Uh, Isaiah says in, in his in his book, God knows and names all the stars, uh, and and it's true. So, getting back to how important it is to tell the truth to yourself about yourself, and then to be willing to tell the truth about yourself to other people and beyond. There are many levels of truth telling. When we can tell the truth to ourselves about ourselves, that we are perfectly imperfect and that we are God's creatures, meaning that we have wonderful capacities that we haven't even tapped. And when we're willing to be honest with ourselves that we are lovable because God created us. So therefore, this doesn't have to be a contest for who's more lovable or who's more, you know, worthy. We're all lovable. We're all worthy. And sometimes in order to overcome our fear that we're not enough, people tend to want to compete with one another. I'm bigger, I'm better, I'm, I'm more of this, whatever. And that creates, you know, different kinds of lies different kinds of misunderstandings, different kinds of barriers, different kinds of inauthenticity. And that's where you begin to see some of that at work in any congregational life. Now, I know most of what you do is virtual so far, but when you get to the point where it's not as virtual as it is now, you'll see more interaction because you know, not only was I a cantor in two different large congregations for over 20 years, I was married to a rabbi for 32 years who had his congregations. And we would come home and compare stories of what this one and that one did and said and, or didn't do or didn't say, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I had a, a great, a, a pretty good 
bunch of experience uh, for in the last few months of the pandemic before I came to uh, Newburgh, uh, when I was uh, still at the church, my home church in Goshen, New York. And I was spending a lot of time there coordinating combinations of, of in-person and virtual services, which they're still continuing today. Uh, and I'm looking to basically try to recreate that model um, uh, here in a few weeks, although we're, you know, we're being very cautious as everyone should be at this point. And um, we're going to be counting a lot on vaccines and, and continuing to socially distant and, and all of those things. But the human face-to-face -face interaction cannot be replaced. It is just, uh, just way, way too important. Uh, the, the fact you can see how people, you know, I, I love when we're, we're doing, when I, I, the first few weeks when I was uh, doing, they started the online here. Um, when it came time to do the sermon, they would put me just right there in, in, in the whole full screen view. I've actually come to ask them now to keep it in gallery view, even though I'm just one of the little tiny squares, uh, because I can actually see people's reactions, which is so important, because you know, it's so much more important than talking to a screen. Uh, and it's it really, that's why you're there, is to to not only deliver the word, but uh, take, it, take it upon yourself. And also, you know, absorb some of that word for yourself from how other people are feeling about it. And that's what I like to think is a, a truly successful you know, worship service or even conversation with, with someone is, you know, do we both get something out of it? Um, do, you know, we, it's, it's really a two-way street and mm. you gotta keep at it because it is hard work and, and being authentic is hard work. Uh, because you have to keep thinking about it. Now, you can't keep trying to convince yourself of it. You just, but you really do need to buckle down to the idea of, yeah, this is what I believe for this situation. And this is what I should be, you know, believing and talking about. Uh, I think being fully authentic also means being fully present, which means you dare not go on autopilot. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I have I, I deal with this with the with the clients I have all the time. And recently, a, a client came in, and this was a, a few months ago. He began with me, and he had just begun a relationship with with someone, and had just begun you know a couple of months into the dating process, and uh, it wasn't going the way he wanted, and yet he didn't really express himself to his, his uh, sweetheart. And he, he decided, I, I, I'm not sure about this. I, I think, I think I'm, uh, we, we better break up. But he never really fully expressed himself. So when, when he had the next date with his sweetheart, um, he expressed himself, I, I don't think this is going where I want it to go. And his partner said, well, I kind of agree it's not going the way I want it to go either, but I was afraid to tell you things that were bothering me. And what began to happen is they began to have an authentic conversation with one another in which they were being honest with one another about what had been going on since they had begun dating, but neither one wanted to, let's say, uh, ruffle feathers or upset the other, or they thought maybe it'd work out anyway. And, and when it didn't, they were just gonna, you know, say bye-bye instead of talking about it. So being open and authentic and honest can actually uh, deepen a connection. It can deepen an understanding of what might be a misunderstanding. And that's how bridges are built. So I, I get back to what you said before about wanting to be, to help build bridges between, as you say, the pulpit and, and the, uh, the pews, as it were. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's a fascinating story. So what's, what's the end of the story? Did they decide to they to, uh, are, they're, cry they're, a little while? No, they're planning to... Uh, to in, adopt some children and start a family. Wow. So, so that's where, see, that's where honesty gets you. 
that's when you're a truly authentic and, and, you know, all the shades come down and you can, you know, there, there it is. So uh, that, and that's, wow. We need more stories like that one. Yeah. And, and so often we make assumptions that are coming from our fears, coming to the stories we tell ourselves and we think we're right. We don't check it out. And so often people walk around having these misunderstandings, disconnect, feeling bad about whatever, feeling incomplete because we, we make an assumption, but don't check it out. And, and, but if we were willing to be honest and open and authentic, we would check it out. And who knows the, the wealth of relationship that you could have, whether it's with coworkers or, or congregants or members of a committee or members of a family, if people just would be willing to be curious and stop assuming. Yeah, that's exactly right. Express an interest and understand more. Tell me more. I don't, I don't get this about you. And express and express more interest in, in the other person and how they really feel and what they really think about it. Uh, that's, and it's, and it's tough to do. It's tough to even ask for. And then when you do, and then somebody, somebody pushes back and says, well, you know, wait, wait a minute, wait, 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 no, I'm not ready for that. Or that, that just hit me sideways and I just can't deal with it right now. Um, I don't think that really happens very often in truly uh, honest conversations. Uh, it's, it's. Um, and, and by the way, John, if it does, it's just information. Sure. And you don't have to take it personally. If someone's not ready for for that conversation or that depth of right. connection. Okay. But, yeah. but that's information for you and it's information for them. So the more people are honest with each other, and I don't mean honest to the point of being mean, you know, like, like, honestly, you look awful today. <laughs> yeah. Or honestly, I, I, I can't stand the way you dress or something. Right. I mean, <laughs> Yes. Oh, please. I, I just, I really like you, but I really don't, I cannot stand the sound of your voice. <laughs> no, uh, no, you can't do that. Um, but no, I did say to you, John, I chose you. You're on my, on my, my, the top of my list of people I wanted to call. I was honest with you. I like your voice. <laughs> and voices are really important to me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, you being a singer and a cantor for all that time. Right, right. But, but, uh, but I'm not, but I'm not going to say to someone that I haven't chosen, you know, I didn't chose you because I hate your voice. <laughs> no, I was just trying to figure out just about the most awful thing I could think of at the moment. Uh, but, and of course, it's all in great fun. But uh, even though I did have a, uh, I did have a, uh, I was auditioning for a, uh, a role once in a musical and I don't sing much. I don't sing really well at all. And this person said that my voice sounded like I'd been grating onions on my vocal cords. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, goodness, I wouldn't hear that at all. Well, anyway, yeah. that's um, that was a long time ago. Uh, but um, and who knows? Maybe she was being honest, where she thought she was being honest and authentic. Um, uh, I didn't really think so, but. Uh, but there you go. Uh, you got to take it for uh, for what it is, and you and you, you accept it uh, from someone, or you don't have to accept it. Uh, but there really needs to be a reason why you're not going to accept what they say or what their point of view might be. Uh, you can't do it just because uh, you think that they're wrong, uh, because well, they might be wrong. But um, well, what think before about being perfectly imperfect. I think that's exactly. a, a wonderful so thing. So we get into, you know, when we're leaders in a community, which I've been, and you are, uh, you often are concerned about not stepping on toes and not ruffling feathers. And yet leaders must be open, honest, and authentic in being leaders, right? Yeah. So the, the question is, I see a lot of people clam up when they feel there might be a conflict. So in order to make peace, they don't say anything at all. Or in order to make peace, they tell you what they think you want to hear. So that's the push-pull in being honest, authentic, and a leader. Because when you're a leader of a congregation or in a corporation 
or a leader of a group or a leader of a choir, what, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, for instance, when I was at the temple and, and I was in charge of our, our high holiday choir and making sure things sounded as good as possible, I had to say uh, to, to people, uh, sometimes take them aside and said, you know, you're, you're, you're flat and, and we need to work on that together. And, you know, because I couldn't, and I had to change the position of where they were singing so they weren't too close to the microphone. But I, I had, as a leader, I had to be open, honest, authentic, and kind. But I had to be real. Yeah. Right? And that's the most important one is being real. Uh, and if, if kindness has to take sort of a backseat to it, well, you just have to take that risk. And you can't, there, there again, that's, that's another fear that creeps in, you know, fear of risk. And what am I, what am I risking here is, is, is just total fear. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta accept it and hope that what you say is, is, um, is taken as well as it can be. Uh, and, and that's, that doesn't matter whether you're speaking to a, a coworker or, or your partner in life or your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, although, you know, with kids, you gotta, you know, at least try to figure them out. Uh, but, but then good luck. You're not going to do a very good job of it that well, way. Well, that's hey. <laughs> a, obviously, but that's an arena in which parents, parents owe it to their kids to be honest and authentic because they'll eventually find out if they're yeah. not right. And yeah, and you might as well go ahead and say what you think, especially if you have teenagers, because in their eyes, you're already the most ignorant creature that ever drew breath. So, <laughs> And then all of a sudden, 10 years later, you're brilliant. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, we won't go there. Um, yeah, so yeah, go ahead. Raising kids, and uh, by the way, my uh, I know you have a, a new grandchild. My grandchildren are, are grown and going to be having their own children soon. So, uh, but that's, you know, that's a wonderful blessing in life. Um, and yet we owe it to our children and grandchildren to be that authentic role model. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, we dare not live a life of inauthenticity lest they have to discover the hard way, which is, you know, a very painful uh, experience for people, right? So, yeah, yeah my, my son gave me a t-shirt uh, about the time the baby was born and said, uh, my grandpa knows everything. And if he doesn't, he can make stuff up really fast. <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. Well, that's a great example of having a sense of humor about, the, the fact that we'd like certain people to think we know everything, you know, for a while, our grandchildren or our children, when they're little, think we know everything. That's but right. there, there has to come a time when we're willing to say to them, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll look it up. Right. I often say to clients about something, if I'm, if I'm baffled, I, I don't know. Let me, let me think about that. Right. So it's really important for people in authority and leadership or whatever to be willing to say about anything, even they, if they are seen as the expert. I don't know if they mm. don't. Right. Right. Yeah. But no, I think I think I don't know is a really valuable phrase or I, I will get right back to you on that as soon as I as soon as I learn something more about it, because it's the idea of. We're all learners and we all have to continue doing that. Uh, we're all teachers too, but, um, we're, but mostly we're students. And the best teacher is the one who learns the most from his or her students. Uh, and that's why you're gonna find out more about yourself and your own knowledge level. That's what uh, even goes back to, to the Greeks, to Plato and Socrates. That's what they were saying is that, uh, you know, the only one who has any real knowledge is the one who admits he has none. So uh, that's where you have to go, come from with, with everything. And there again, it goes right back to that foundational idea of, you know, being, being honest and, and genuine. And also being true to yourself. Oh, yeah, obviously. So 
so that idea of honesty and authenticity is also about being willing to disappoint someone else in order to be true to yourself. Yep. And that's hard. Uh, in Orion Mountain Dreamer's uh, wonderful book, which began as a prose poem, it's called The Invitation. And in this wonderful poem, she says, it doesn't, it, it only, it interests me. It, it, the whole thing is interests me this, or it doesn't interest me that. But in one of the lines, it interests me to know if you're willing to disappoint another in order to be true to yourself. This, this prose poem came out of her having recently become divorced and she went to a cocktail party where people were standing around engaged in superficial, let me show you how great I am kind of chit chat. And she went home and she was disgusted. She was, you know, she was determined never to go to another cocktail party. <laughs> and, and it began, you know, it interests me that, uh, so that, you know, people were trying to impress each other with right. their credentials, with their achievements or whatever. And, and she left feeling so lonely and so bereft and so empty because no one was talking with any authenticity. No one was really interested in anyone else. They were just interested in how they appeared or how they were being seen, right? right. And so this whole idea, it interests me to know if you're willing to disappoint another in order to be true to yourself. And that's a really big test. It is. Uh, yeah, that's that's the toughest one, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, and there again, you can't be afraid of the risk it, it, it involves, that uh, how, how this other person may be offended, insulted, um, affected well, one way or another. I don't, you know, I, I think that unless it's just a, you know, a, a life balancing life you know life and death instance i don't know i can't think of i can't think of a good example right now uh but um that it's that you still have to take you still have to go for it so you know as we as we're talking i'm thinking about the prophets and the most effective prophets were the ones who upset the most people <laughs> yeah that's right and they, right. uh, they certainly did. Uh, and uh, then we have, you know, there's a, we have all those, what they call minor prophets like Jonah, who, you know, just, you know, ran away. And then, then when he finally decided he had to go do the right thing, he did it. And he yeah, made but he, the prophecy. But then he was truly upset when people actually followed what he said. <laughs> right. So he, 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 he never was, did get it figured out, you know, and that's why his book is only four chapters long and Isaiah has 60. <laughs> exactly. Isaiah was a rabble rouser. He, he, you know, he was an iconoclast and uh, Jonah was a reluctant prophet. He didn't, yeah. he didn't want the job. No, don't choose me. Please don't choose me. Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was reading a passage uh, recently in, uh, um, it from first kings where they're the the king was, was talking about prophets and being solitary creatures and all that and then i read a note somewhere that this that king ahab had 400 prophets in his court so i looked up that passage and there's actually a, a very funny little thing in there where two prophets are arguing with each other in front of the king and one of them hauls off and punches the other one in the in the face because his prophecy is better than the other one <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay. And I, uh, I thought, wow, this is the Old Testament. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> oh, the old ego comes out and wins again, right? <laughs> well, hey, if there are 400 of you there, I guess there's a little jockeying for position. But um, so. Yeah, I mean, often the prophets were the, uh, the advisors to the kings. Yes. Because the kings knew they could rely on their honesty. That was the point. That was the whole idea that, yeah. that, that you were there and you were, and you took, and it, it didn't matter the risk you were taking there to even speak truth to power. Uh, because if you spoke the truth and the king didn't like it and he sent you away, okay, well, or if you wanted you killed or whatever, uh, you still had to do it because that's what God had basically told you to do. That was the deal you made with him. Uh, and so there it is. There it is again, total honesty. And, and again, it points to the, 
the importance of leadership and really effective leadership, enlightened leadership is such that the leaders will surround themselves with the truth tellers, the people that would tell them the truth no matter what. Yeah, as opposed to the people that will tell them what they want to hear. Right, And, and true leaders understand that's not doing them any favors. That's right. And then you, you wind up with a mess if, if you, well, you, you wind get up into with that. An autocrat. You, li- you, you wind up with a tyrant. You, you, know, you wind up with, uh, you, find, you, you, you wind up with chaos. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, it's a downward spinning spiral. So it will, once it starts, you're on that slippery spirally slope and you're just headed right on down with it. Um, you know, there's, there's a reason that, that the, that the ancient people figured that, that heaven was up there in the sky and that the devil was down there somewhere down below, uh, because it's, uh, you know, it's the natural feeling for things. Uh, so it's, and, and so it is. So can you think of a time in your life where something happened and as a result of that, it occurred to you that honesty is the best policy? Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, it was the breakup of my first marriage. Uh, I've been married for seven or eight years and came to the realization that this was really not, not a good thing, that this was not a good relationship. And that uh, the best thing to do was to uh, to dissolve it. Fortunately, there weren't any kids in the balance, so that made the decisions easier. But uh, yeah, and being able to admit that, yeah, you're right. And and then having you know not not as though I didn't have second thoughts about well, let's see, maybe we could put this back together. But no, no, you really can't. Um, it's. Uh, you know, there's the legal term for that is is irretrievably broken, and uh, and I think that's what it it is. Right. It's like it's like Humpty Dumpty. It's you know? Humpty Dumpty. Well, the the point is what you're what you're suggesting to me. Uh, the picture I get is that you realized that you needed to be honest with yourself about what was not working for you. Yes. And in Absolutely. order to be honest with yourself, you had to perhaps disappoint another. No, but then I realized that uh, it was actually, I was kind of slow on the uptake, I think. I think that she was less, that she was less uh, um, enamored of the whole relationship than I was at that point. So uh, she was, was waiting uh, for you it was, to call it. was a great relief. I think it was a great relief to her uh, for it to, uh, to come to happen the way it did. Uh, and it was very, as, as amicable as any of those things can be, uh, it isn't all peaches and cream. And, and anybody who says it is, or it was for them, is obviously not being very honest uh, with themselves, at least. Uh, maybe you know whether they're being honest with you. They're certainly not being honest with themselves because you don't you don't leave a seven or eight year relationship uh, at the doorstep. Uh, so you, uh, it's it's something that, and it's something that you really never never really totally get over. Although, um, you, um, you do my, my, my current wife with whom I've been married now 40 years, uh, we are best friends with her first husband and his new wife, who was his new wife of 30 some odd years. I see. Oh, that's so funny. But that is, that is truly a beautiful evolution of a friendship and a marriage and acceptance and kind of integrating, you know, and accepting certain, certain, certain relationships can change form. Yeah, yeah, they can. And as, as she has said many times, it was, you know, he's a lot better as our good friend than he was as we were as husband and wife. So it's, it's that, it's just that. And and there again, there again, it's being really open about it which is it's liberating so you know my my thought about honesty and authenticity is at the end of the day it's hugely liberating that we can let go of the things we believe we're supposed to be in favor of 
what we are so we don't have to hide anymore. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. There you go. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful way to conclude this conversation this time, John. So I want you to think about the next time you want to come back, what the topic is you'd like to to, uh, focus on next time. But I'm so grateful that you're uh, with me today and that you could be a part of the the very beginning of my brand new podcast. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, other episodes of this and I'm also looking forward to coming back, so. Wonderful, I look forward to that too. I love that voice and I love that virtual background. It's a beautiful space, by the way. Thank you, thank you, come visit. So until we meet again, my friends, this is Sheila Pro, the Love Doctor saying, see you next time. Bye for now. Bye for now.